0: Would you bow with me? Father, we do just thank you for the tremendous uh, miracle of the incarnation, that uh, you were pleased to send your Son to do your will, and that he came and took on human flesh and became like us. Thank you that he did your will and he went to the cross and died for us. Bore our sins in his body on the cross. Thank you that he died and that he rose from the dead. Thank you that all of uh, Christmas points to what Jesus did for us on the cross. The reason why he came. And Lord, I thank you as we have a chance today to look into your word to be reminded of uh, what you have declared concerning your son. I pray we would listen intently and we will respond rightly so that you'd be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, why did you come to worship today? Did you come because you had to? Did you come because you wanted to? Why are you here today? Did you come with an attitude of joy? Did you come simply to sing songs and Christmas carols, to see your friends, or did you come also to worship Christ? Well, today we're going to look at three different responses to the birth of King Jesus. We're going to see joyful worship, fearful agitation, and murderous hate, and I believe all humanity falls into one of these three. Turn with you in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. Now, Matthew wrote this book, inspired by the Spirit, uh, sometime uh, after the ascension of Christ, but before the destruction of Jerusalem. Matthew, or Levi, which is his formal name, was a tax collector. He was a sinner, and he was called to repentance by Jesus Christ, and he turned to follow the Lord Jesus Now, we see in the book of Matthew that it is the presentation of King Jesus, the King of the Jews. And certainly to present the King, there must be his kingdom and his teaching concerning his kingdom. Thus, the book of Matthew is about Jesus Christ, the King, and his kingdom. Yet it is also about the rejection and opposition to King Jesus by the Jews. The rejection culminating in his crucifixion the very venue in which God would bring about salvation, the salvation that was initially rejected by his people and then offered to all the nations. (coughs) Now earlier in chapter 1, we saw uh, last week in the book of Matthew, Jesus Christ is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham, which means he fulfills, first of all, the Davidic covenant, that he would sit on the line of David as king forever. And then secondly, that he fulfills the Abrahamic covenant, that in Abraham's seed all the nations would be blessed. They would receive through his seed salvation blessing. And then we saw that Jesus Christ uh, being the king of the Jews and salvation offered in that context. Ultimately, we saw that the genealogy pointed to the fact that he truly was of Joseph's line, uh, the rightful heir to the throne in a sense, the throne to be the king of Israel. And we also saw uh, that in that context, the birth of uh, Jesus Christ as we looked at it last week. We saw the birth of Jesus Christ and you might remember Joseph's dilemma that uh, Mary was found to be with child, uh, not from any man, but from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph desired to put her away righteously um, and gracefully and mercifully, but God intervened By sending an angel to uh, reveal to him in a dream the great truth of why he should take Mary for his wife. Because God was taking on human flesh to save his people from their sins. And so uh, God graciously revealed that to Joseph and we see that it was in fulfillment of prophecy. In fulfillment of prophecy that a virgin would be with child. She would bear a son. They would call his name Emmanuel which translated means God with us. You see, the Lord Jesus is the one who saves. And when you are saved, that b- the, the break in the relationship because of sin is restored and he is with us. Tremendous reality, the birth of Jesus Christ. And then we come to chapter 2, in which I believe we're going to see three different responses to this birth of King Jesus. Let's take a look, first of all, uh, as we see the Gentile Magi. They arrived to worship King Jesus. Look at verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod or Herod, the king, behold, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born? The king of the Jews, for we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Here we have our text begins with the statement now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Matthew inspired by the spirit is pointing out the timing in which Jesus was born. It was during the days of Herod the king. And so after that he was born we see uh, he was born in Bethlehem certainly. And then in the days of Herod the king. You might remember what Joseph was to call, uh, his son. He was to call him Jesus. And notice here it says, now after Jesus was born. You'll remember back in chapter 1 verse 21, the angel said to him, and you, she shall bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. That's why you're gonna name him that. You're gonna name him the Lord saves. The Lord is salvation because that's exactly what he is doing and going to do. And then in our passage here, uh, we see that it would happen here that he would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. The city of David, Luke chapter 2, 4. Now, Bethlehem was six miles south of Jerusalem. And the term Bethlehem means house of bread, house of bread. And how uh, appropriate that Jesus was born in the city named House of Bread. Because we know that he is the bread of life. We know that if we partake of him by faith, we receive eternal life. He is the one who brings the words of eternal life and that life is in him alone. And so in our text now, we also have another marker that indicates the timing now when these three uh uh, when these uh, when these events took place. Look at uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 1. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. God wants us to know that, in the days of Herod the king. Now, first of all, notice in our passage, Herod is called uh, here the king, isn't he? With a small k, right? Herod the king. Now, we will, we also note actually in Luke chapter 1 verse 5 that Herod is the king of Judea. The king of Judea. So who is this Herod guy? Why is he mentioned here? Why is, uh, he so important to hear about in this, at this point? Well, first of all, Herod the first, that's who he was, as he was known in history, was Herod the Great. That's the way they see him in history. He was not a Jew. But he was an Idumean. he was uh, of Edomite uh, origin. That explains a lot, by the way, as we'll see. Esau would have been his great, 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 great granddad, right? Esau would have been that. And he was not a very nice man. In 47 BC, when he was in his mid-20s, he was named the governor of Galilee. That was a very high position by Rome, and apparently the Romans hoped that he would pacify the Jews. And after a trail of much blood, he did so, as we see in history. Now, Herod was, as we're going to see, a clever yet very evil man who used violence to hang on to power. In 40 BC, the Romans said it named him the king of the Jews. Now, that's a big slap in the face to the Jews because they knew that their king was coming. At least they believed that portion. They didn't accept him when he came, but they knew the king was coming. And so it was a slap in their face. And so the Jews despised him, and in a sense, he despised them. You see, he wasn't a Jew by birth or religion, but he was a powerful man. He was so powerful that when he refurbished the temple, it was called Herod's temple. That's the temple that Jesus went into. It was refurbished by Herod. Refurbished by Herod. He was also a brutal killer. Indeed, he murdered many people to stay in power including his brother-in-law, mother-in-law, wife. He also had sons by one wife put to death. He was a brutal man. He was a murderer. Even Caesar said of Herod, it is safer to be Herod's so, so than his son. Now certainly in the latter portion of chapter 2, we see that Herod is a murderous maniac of a dictator. Murderous maniac of a dictator. Look down at verse 16 of Matthew 2 he slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its environs from two years old and under. That's a murderer. All the children in that area, two years old and under. But as we're going to see, the true Messiah, the true king of the Jews had come on the scene. Back to our passage. He thought he was king, but the true king had come. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Uh-oh, we got a problem here. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Well, I thought uh, Herod was the king of the Jews. I thought he was the guy, the head guy. Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? Now the Magi are looking for someone who's been born King of the Jews to do what? To worship him. This king is not only King of the Jews, he is one to be worshiped. He is one to be worshiped, which implies, as we will see, deity. Deity. Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? And obviously Matthew says that Herod was the king to help us understand why he responds this way in the context of his wickedness. Now notice, contrary to uh, the blessed Christmas uh, carol we sing and did sing, and what we see on Christmas cards, nowhere do we see that there were simply three uh, people coming. And actually the star... Uh, uh, didn't actually lead them to Jerusalem. They saw the star in the east, and then they traveled to Jerusalem. We've seen his star, and we've come. So what do we know about these magi? Well, first of all, what we're going to see is that there's not much in history concerning them. Um, so let me share a few points that we see from the most accurate reality, which is Scripture. What do we know about them? First of all, our text says that they were from the east these were not Jews these were Gentiles from the east now some teachers uh, wrongly I believe and very wrongly have gone to say that these magic are the king makers. they went around to make kings no that's not what our passage says we have come to worship the king they're not going to make him the king they've come to worship him he is already king they were coming to worship him Now, it's certainly possible that these Magi existed, were the same type of people who existed in the time of Daniel, when Israel had been exiled into Babylon. And it's interesting that 600 years before this, Nebuchadnezzar had appointed Daniel as ruler over the province of Babylon because the Lord had enabled him to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And we see in Daniel 2.48 that it reveals that he was made chief perfect over all the wise men of Babylon. And in Daniel 5.11, we see that Nebuchadnezzar had made Daniel the chief ma- of the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. Now, the term magicians in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in the book of Daniel, it's done, spoken 12, 10 times there in Daniel alone, uh, is the same word we see in Greek here, speaking of magi, of magi. So who were these Magi? Were they pagan astrologers? Possibly. But most likely these Magi were the wise men of their day. They were most likely highly educated uh, like those of the day of Daniel. And so if we see, it's quite possible also that the biblical truth that Daniel had learned and understood and brought forth was passed down to these Magi because he was in charge of all of them for many years. So we don't know much about the Magi. Uh, We don't know if they're pagan or not. But we do know that they were given revelation by God and they responded rightly. They responded rightly. So what can we observe here about the Magi? Well, it's apparent uh, from our passage that they must have had some type of influence because they were able, as we will see, to receive a hearing before Herod. You don't just get to be able to go before the leader of the whole area uh, just for any reason. They must have been influential. Maybe there was a lot of them, a lot of them. Because we're going to see also all Jerusalem, which were a lot of people, uh, were troubled. They were troubled when these people came. So obviously they knew about it. Obviously their entrance in Jerusalem uh, was evident to the whole city. And it's likely, possibly, they came in a large caravan and certainly might have even had their own troops to guard them. Our text doesn't say, but because of the way Jerusalem responded, it's likely that that is the case and that Herod gives them a hearing. So then you've got this group of foreign dignitaries coming and arriving in Jerusalem, asking questions of those in Jerusalem. Where is he, verse 2, who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now this is amazing because uh, they understand something. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They understand the king of the Jews has been born. And they say, for we have seen his star in the east. Now, people make all kinds of things about what this star might be. It might be an alignment of planets here and here, or whatever, you know, Haley's Comet. There's all kinds of theories. But I believe from the text, and as we'll see in a moment, it was a supernatural phenomenon. It was his star. Because later on, the star will appear and lead them right to the house where Jesus was. That's no comet flying by. So it was his star that they had seen in the east, and it appeared as we will see, and led them, and it will lead them to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. So these Magi were given revelation from God, and possibly that Daniel had passed down, we see, uh, earlier, and within that they come and are asking, Where is he? Where is he who's been born? The king we know the king of the Jews has been born. Where is he? And we've come to worship him. Well, let me ask you this. Did you come today to worship the King of the Jews? You see, when God changes you, when you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, we are then enabled to worship by His Spirit. You see, God seeks worshipers, but they must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And it's only when you've come to faith in Christ that you have the desire truly and the ability by His Spirit to worship We don't just come here to hear a sermon and to take notes. We don't come here just to do whatever. We come here to worship the living God. That's where our heart should be. And yes, we get distracted by stuff in our lives and distracted even when we get here. But we need to regear our hearts and remember, we come here to worship the Lord. And they were coming to worship Him. They were coming to worship Him. Now, what's interesting is they're coming here, and I believe they're probably thinking, everyone knows where the king is. Where is he, the king of the Jews, who's been born? What? You don't know where he is? They should know, right? They're assuming, in a sense, by their question, that Jerusalem would know where he is. So look at uh, verse 3. We see the response of Herod and, and the unexpected response of the Jews in Jerusalem. And when Herod the king heard of it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. There's some group of people, they're a pretty large group. They're asking, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? He's troubled. But then he says, here, Matthew, and all of Jerusalem with him. He gets the news. This is Herod's response. He is troubled. The word means to be shaken or stirred up, unsettled, unsettled. Uh, thrown into confusion, speaks of mental and spiritual agitation, disturbed, upset, agitated. He's shaken up. He's shaken up. Folks, we know what that's like when you hear news you're not expecting. You know, I don't remember if you if you may have been old enough to remember 9-11, you hear the news, what happened? It shakes you up. Or whatever it might be, some news that you didn't expect, all of a sudden you hear it and you're shaken up. Well, Herod is shaken up. It's troubling to him. But it's not just being shaken up. It's very troubling to him, as we'll say. And all Jerusalem was troubled with him. Now, wait a second. Okay, Herod's troubled. We're going to see that. And that's understandable. We're going to, okay, he's the king of the Jews. And some of these people, this great group of people come and say, where's the king of Jews? Well, he's the king of Jews, right? Isn't he? No, there's been one who's been born. That's troubling to Herod, as we'll say. But what is interesting, why is all Jerusalem troubled with him? Look at the end of verse 3. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. I'm amazed as we'll see in a little bit that these Jews in Jerusalem didn't just uh, walk down to Bethlehem and go, hmm, something's going on down here six miles away. We should go check it out. They didn't do it. They were troubled also. So why were the Jews of Herod's time troubled? Why would they be troubled with the news that their Messiah's been born? Weren't they waiting for the Messiah? Weren't they looking for him? Wouldn't that be, wow, wow, did you hear that? The Messiah's been born possibly. Wow, wonderful. No, they're troubled. The word doesn't speak of just being uh, not sure or or kind of perplexed. It means you're troubled, agitated. Why would they be agitated? Well, let me uh, posit you some answers from Scripture why I believe they were agitated. They knew the Word. They claimed to know the God of the Word. But they were in unbelief. They were in unbelief. And their unbelief was exemplified by the fact that they ultimately, as Jews, rejected their Messiah and called upon him to be crucified. The Apostle John says in John 1, 9-11, There was a true light coming into the world who enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, speaking of Jesus, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his did not receive him. They didn't receive him. John chapter 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall, hung, shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. John chapter 10, you can turn there for this portion. John chapter 10, verse 24. This is a quite an interesting passage because the Lord has been making it clear who he is by the signs and also by his teaching and by the truth. And time's gone by and they still don't get it. This Boy, sounds so familiar these days when you look at wickedness, deceit and blindness. Look at John 10, 24. The Jews therefore gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. We've been doing that the whole time. Jesus answered and said to them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal, give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. They were in unbelief. They were in unbelief. Remember what Jesus said to, uh, uh, said concerning Jerusalem when he, was, uh, when he came into, in on his triumphal entry? Uh, and, and after that, Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling. They're in unbelief. They're in unbelief. You see, if you truly don't believe in what God has revealed and you've made a different picture of it in your mind, when God brings about those things, you're not going to like it because it doesn't fit with your plans. There's a couple of reasons why they were agitated in this context that we're not sure of. Certainly it's in the context of unbelief, which scripture reveals that. But maybe they were agitated, one, because this wasn't what they were expecting. And also they were agitated because you know what? This is rocking the boat. Herod's going to get upset. This is going to be a problem. Uh-oh. Rather than... What? The king of the Jews is born? Where is he? Let's go find him. It's amazing. They were agitated rather than interested. They didn't care to worship. You see, God had made it very clear in the word that the Messiah would come. He had made it very clear. He made it very clear that his, uh, his son would come. But even Isaiah says, who has believed our message? The implication is they're not believing the message. They're not believing it. And certainly they didn't. This baby didn't fit into their plans for the Messiah. We see also they were looking for a Messiah who would deliver them from Rome rather than from their sins. And you see, if you come to Jesus for the wrong reason, then you're not going to see the right things rightly when they come because you're in unbelief so then we see here these jews are agitated one pastor writes unbelieving jews are just like all other unbelievers they refuse to seek god or to worship him being jewish is no more inclines one to recognize god's salvation than being raised in a christian home does proximity to the truth is not enough It is not shocking to find that when our Lord publicly presented himself to the nation some 30 years later, accompanied by signs and wonders, they failed as a nation to accept him as their king. And it was in Jerusalem that he was crucified. The Jews should have understood what this meant. The Messiah was born, that he would come to die for our sins because all of us like sheep have gone astray. They should have believed the message that he needed to suffer first. They should have believed it, but they didn't. And so they're troubled by those who truly seek to worship. And isn't that the case when there are those around you who are not not pious, false people, but true believers who trust Christ and want to follow him and worship him? They agitate you if you're not truly saved. So then, let me ask you this. Is this service troubling to you? Does it agitate you? Does the Word of God proclaim to you agitate you? If so, it's an evidence that maybe you are in unbelief. Which means possibly you are still in your sins and you need a Savior. And the Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, false religions will not agitate you. Bad guys who feed your flesh will not agitate you, you will enjoy it. But when God's word convicts you of your sin, calling upon you to repent and humble yourselves because He sent His Son to die for you, if that agitates you, you're in deep trouble. And you see, there's a lot of churches these days who will do a song and dance, and you'll go there, you won't be troubled. But come to a faith that church that faithfully and spirit in spirit led dependence preaches the word and doesn't tickle your flesh. And if you're agitated, then maybe that's an evidence you have a faith problem. Maybe it's an evidence. And God's gracious, He wants you to see yourself rightly that you would be saved. He's a gracious God. So then, back to our passage these Jews did not seek to worship Christ because they didn't believe. But yet we have the Magi who came. Where is he who is born King of Jews? We have come to worship him, to bow down in reverence as the creation should to its creator. Now look at the Herod's response. We've seen the response of the Jews, which is, which is unbelievable. Look at the Herod's response. Verse 4. And gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes and the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. That's very interesting, the language he uses here. The term Christ speaks of the Messiah. Where was he to be born? Let's look at the scriptures. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means the least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them when the star had, when the star appeared. And he said to them, excuse me, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make careful search for the Christ, for the Christ, uh, excuse me, for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and, and worship him. Okay, so Herod gathers all the chief priests, the scribes of the people. Now, the chief priest wasn't really a title. It was a term to describe the high priest and the ex-high priest, the captain of the temple guard and other priests, and included the 70, the Sanhedrin. They would give that title also. These were the top religious dudes, okay? They were them, okay? They were the head guys. And this was a theocracy, so they were also the leaders of Israel. (coughs) They're not your ordinary priests. These are the ones who effectively ruled Israel. And notice, we have the time also, the term also, scribes of the people. These were not priests, but however, they were learned in the law. They understood the scriptures. They were like, like legal beagle lawyers for the scriptures. That's the scribes. They were also like theologians, in a sense. So then Herod, the unbeliever, inquires of these theocrats to where Jesus was born. Verse 4 And gathering them together, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire to them where where the Christ was to be born. And what's their answer? They know exactly where it is. That's why it's so amazing, as we'll see later on. The people knew too. Why didn't they go down there? Notice what they say. Verse 5 And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. Hey, this is the scriptures. And he quotes it, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means least of the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, e, 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 people Israel. No hesitation. They knew exactly what the answer was. They knew what Micah 5.2 said, and they quoted it. The answer is Bethlehem. The answer is Bethlehem. That's where a ruler will come to shepherd People. Simple answer. Now, not only did the religious top guys understand this, the people understand it. It also. Look at John chapter seven. John seven. They understood it also. Which makes their fearful agitation even much greater, uh, perplexing in terms of their why would these people who claimed to know the Lord act this way? John seven verse forty. Some of the multitude therefore said when they heard these words, were saying, This is certain this certainly is, is the prophet. Others were saying, This is the Christ. Still others were saying, Surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Um, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and what? From Bethlehem, the village where David was? They knew that. They knew the scriptures pointed to Bethlehem for his birthplace. They knew that. And this is tragically telling. The leaders knew, the people knew, they knew where he was to be born, and yet we have no record of them going to search for him to worship him. Herod's going to search to kill him, but no record of the people. Wow, the Messiah's been born. Let's go check out and see if this is the case. Let's go. It's only a couple hours' walk. Why don't we go? Well, they didn't go. So here we have uh, the reality of the lack of a desire to worship Christ. And then also, as we're going to see, the the wicked, devious, hateful uh, heart of Herod, who's going to try to find out where he is so that he can kill him. Now for some of you, now these, these wise men, they, they're going to great lengths to find out where it is. Herod's going to great lengths for bad reasons. You know, but for some of you possibly it's a hurdle even to get to church. It's a hurdle even to get to a Bible study. That's telling of your spiritual condition. These wise men came and from the east to worship the Lord and they were going to try to find Christ. You know, I tell you at times I'm greatly encouraged after the message where I talk to people and they've actually heard the message and it's actually convicted their heart and they're wanting to talk about the Word of God, not because I shared it, but because it's convicting me too. It's a blessing. But I'm also greatly disturbed at times where we hear the Word of God and we go out and there's no talk about the Word of God at all. It's like, what happened? Did you not hear that? The reality is the people were like that. The leaders did not seek to worship Christ. They could have gone six miles down and tried to worship him. They knew where it was, and they now heard from the Magi. But they didn't believe. They knew so much about Christ, and they were so close, yet they were so far. Yet the Magi, who had such limited revelation, so small amount of revelation, they came uh, from great distance to worship Christ. So Herod knows where the child is to be born. Back in our passage, he believes like the demons believe, by the way. He believes the scripture, I'll tell you that right now. But he believes like the demons, okay? You see, he believes the scripture to his own wicked will and advantage rather than what God intended. And so he knows, he knows. So notice next, Herod ascertains from them uh, when, the timing. He knows where it happened, now he wants the timing, he wants the timing. Verse 7, then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared He's starting to show his sneakiness. Come on back. And so, he secretly called up to ascertain. And, uh, we see, uh, later on, the star must have appeared, obviously, in the east a couple years before. Because later on in chapter 2, verse 16, it says that he tries to kill all the children, or does not try, kills all the children from two years old and under. So, he got the timing from them also. He does get the timing. He figures it out. So he knows the approximate place and time or age of Christ who has been born king of the Jews. And so what does he do? Verse verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem, that's the Magi sent them, and said, Go and make careful search for the child, and when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Sounds great, doesn't it? Herod has been converted. He's a Christian. He's a Christian. He wants to worship Jesus, doesn't he? Boy, we are so naive at times. If anyone says they want to worship Christ, we go, oh, great, wonderful. Yes, you want to take people at face value, but when people truly aren't that in reality, we need to recognize something's wrong. Herod is a wicked man. Now, these magi didn't know that. They didn't even know him. But he says that I may come and worship him. What a sneaky, devious, wicked, evil man. Evil man. You see, he wants to destroy them. Look down in uh, Matthew 12, verse 13. It says, Now when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord had appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and what? Destroy him. That's his goal. And if you look down in verse 20, this means. He wants to kill him, not just take him out for a little while. He wants to kill him. Look at verse 20. Arise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. Seeking to kill him. Is this not uh, what Satan was doing through Herod? Look at Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12. This is exactly what was going on. Satan was behind this. You see, Satan just uses your will when it's apart from Christ. That's what he does. Herod didn't consult with Satan and say, here, let's do this. Satan, Herod was just following his wicked desires, and that is Satan's will. Look at uh, Revelation 12, verse 4. And the dragon stood before the woman, that's speaking of Israel, figuratively, who was about to give birth, that's speaking of Christ, so that, what? So that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now some of you say, I, I would never do that. I would never, I would never want to kill the Lord. That's the most awful thing I could think of. Well, there's some of you that might, in a sense, and I did this before I was saved, actively put to death uh, the thought of his lordship in your life. You really do. You don't want him to be king over you. You want to lead your own life. You're the king of your own life, just like Herod. You don't want someone telling you how to live your life. Therefore, you get agitated and angry. Did not Jesus share that your anger is as good as murder? Matthew chapter 5. The reality is those who follow Christ are going to experience the hatred of the world because they hate Christ. John chapter 15. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and manifest his character and share his word, the world will hate you. Those who may deceitfully say, I want to worship Christ with you, may hate you because they hate Christ. And I believe those, if they had the power without the consequences, uh, those of you who aren't saved, you would want the same thing. Remember what all Jerusalem did when it came down to it? Crucify him. The restraints were off. So what's your attitude towards Christ and his word? Is it one of agitation or even hate? Then you're no different than Herod. And it's an evidence of your unbelief. You need your sins forgiven. And it's the very Christ that you are angry at is the one who died for your sins. So then, we have the response to the news of the birth of Jesus Christ. It's not good. The Jews were stirred up and agitated. The religious theocrats who understood the truth, they were apathetic and unwilling to go search for Christ. And Herod was stirred up enough to deceitfully seek to kill the Christ. So what's the response of faith? That's the response of unbelief. What's the response of faith? Of faith. Look at verse 9. And having heard the king, they went their way. And lo, take a look, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them, and it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they did what? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's amazing. And they came to the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Notice these magi who believed that the Christ had been born and desired to worship him didn't give up on their search. They didn't give up. And the star led them, the same one they had seen in the east, led them... To find out where he was. They went to Jerusalem. He wasn't there. They were met with apathy and deception. And then notice. And having heard the king, verse nine, they went on their way. And lo, the star which they had seen in the east went before them and until it came and stood over where the child was. They were seeking Christ. It appears and God brings them right to where the child was. And it was hanging out right over the house, right over the house. This is a miraculous star that God brought forth, and it's his star to direct the magi to Christ so that they could do what? Worship him, worship him. And what's their response? They rejoiced when they saw the star exceedingly with great joy at his star. They rejoiced. Now, they weren't rejoicing in the sign, They're rejoicing in that it was leading them again to worship Christ. And they came to the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Now, Mary's in a house. Don't believe some of your Christmas cards when the Magi are coming to the manger. They're not in the manger at this point. Jesus was born in the manger, but now he's in a house in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem here. The shepherds visited the the manger, but the wise men visited a house. So they come, and what did they do? What is their response? They fell down and worshiped him. That is the only response worthy for the Lord, is to worship him. That's why we come here, to bow our hearts before the Lord and to sing his praises, to give him the glory, to exalt in his son, to hear his word and praise him for it. They fell down and worshiped him. You see, worship is only uh, for God alone, by the way. Deuteronomy 6, 13, you shall fear the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. Revelation chapter 22, the last words in verse 9, worship God, worship God they worshiped him and it was genuine worship it wasn't contrived by man and his flesh it was based on the revelation they had the king being born and they worshiped by faith indeed their worship was not detoured by the humble surroundings or that it was he, the king was still a babe folks christ is the center of true worship christ is the center it's about jesus christ Unfortunately, churches these days have made it everything but Christ. You've got worship time, worship bands, worship songs. It seems to all be about music. Here we have genuine worship. Bowing before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, they fell down and worshiped Him. Worshiped Him. And notice their worship continued when they gave what was valuable of theirs. Their worship continued. Look here. Middle of verse 11, and opening their their treasures. That's their treasure. They presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Don't miss this. Opening their treasures. They didn't give up someone else's stuff. They opened their treasures. And as we see, they gave cheerfully. This reminds me of 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Now this I say. This is speaking of giving with the right heart, by the way. He who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do as he has purposed in his own heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. They gave, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts, to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, many commentators, the only thing they say about this usually is that these gifts probably funded Mary and Joseph's uh, flight to Egypt or whatever. Maybe, possibly the scripture doesn't talk to that. But I think these gifts are very representative of some very important things about our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, gold represented wealth and power, and it pointed to the fact that he's the king. Frankincense was an incense used in temple worship, and I believe this pointed to his deity and the worship thereof. Isaiah chapter 60. Turn there to Isaiah chapter 60. We see this will be what happens and what is brought to the king in the millennium. When Christ is reigning on his millennial rule, this is what will be brought. Isaiah 60, verse 6. A multitude of camels will cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense and will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. Isn't that great? They bring their gifts and good news of the praises of the Lord. Well, what about myrrh? What about myrrh? Well, myrrh was used in beauty treatments. It was a mixture of uh, vinegar with uh, anesthetic and some other things. It was, it was, it's called myrrh. And it was used to anoint the body and to prepare a body for burial. In John 19.39, Scripture declares that Nicodemus brought about a 100 pounds of myrrh and aloe, which they used to prepare the body of Jesus. Thus, myrrh, I believe, points to his death. That's why we see gold and frankincense in the millennium, but here we see gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The king of kings, who is worthy to be worshipped, would die for our sins and be raised He is the only one worthy of worship. And that's exactly what these Gentile magi did. Now notice, these Gentiles believe because they they actually listen and respond to God's word. Isn't that a wonderful thing when someone actually hears God's word and responds to it? Look at it. Verse 12. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Lord took care of that, right? They departed for their own country by another way. They were warned and they obeyed the Lord. Isn't that great? You see, those of true faith obey the Lord. No questions, no questions. God's word says this, I'm going to do it. And when we fail, we confess because we know we're wrong. No questions, they just did it. They exemplify a real relationship in having worshipped the Lord and obey him. Do you worship and obey him? Do you worship and obey him? Those by faith obey the Lord. No questions. It's not a battle to obey the Lord. It's what we do because we, we love him, and he's changed our heart. He's written his word on our hearts, and we want to do it. It's only when sin gets in the way that we see rebellion and pride. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Today we've seen three responses to the birth of King Jesus, the King who brings salvation. First, we saw the Jews, those who had so much information concerning the Messiah, the Christ. And these Jews were agitated. They were apathetic and unbelieving. Then we saw Herod, a murderous madman who uh, saw Christ as his opposition, an opposition that must be destroyed. And that evidenced an unrestrained heart of unbelief. Unrestrained. And lastly, we saw the Magi who went to great lengths to worship Christ. And when they found him, they joyously, joyously worshipped in the context of obedience. Let me ask you, who are you like? Who are you like? Are you like the Jews that know so much and yet uh, when confronted with truth get perturbed by it? Are you like Herod? Herod? that sees Christ as a threat ultimately to your will and your way and your life? Or are you like the Magi who through little revelation desired to worship Christ and when they found him they rejoiced and they worshipped him and they gave their gifts because he's worthy of that, because he's God who had taken on human flesh. Who did you come to worship today? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. And uh, I thank you for this opportunity we've had today to look at your word. Thank you for the Magi. Thank you that they responded to your revelation. Thank you that they rejoiced over uh, being led to find the child. Thank you that they worshiped with a bowed heart on their knees worshiped uh your son and gave him gifts thank you that they obeyed what your word said lord i pray for anyone here who is agitated at your truth lord it's an evidence of unbelief i pray that they would realize they need a savior they need a savior desperately before it's too late I pray they would believe in your son, Jesus, and be forgiven of their sins. And Lord, for those of us who know you, may we not allow our will and our ways and life to get in the way. May we focus on worshiping your son, Jesus. May we continually offer ourselves to you as living sacrifices, acceptable and holy, which is our spiritual service of worship. May we worship your Son and praise him forever and ever and ever. Lord, may the things that are in the way be removed so that Christ is honored and worshiped from our hearts rightly. Praise in Jesus' name.